Good morning, everyone. I uh, have wonderful news. Our parking lot is full this morning. Now, admittedly, it's because a bunch of our parking spaces are taken up by ice and snow. Get it? Uh, and so you guys have made it. I, it. I'm guessing you found a parking somewhere, and that's why you're here. Uh, I'm pretty sure there are a whole bunch of people at home going, I know what that parking lot's going to be like. I'm not even going to bother today. That was kind of a smart choice, but you are going to miss out on what's happening here. Uh, I do want to remind you that we do have permission from the, uh, the, the realtor across the street. We are allowed to park in their parking during the service as well, so you are welcome to park there. Yes, it's just a few extra meters walk uh, to get to the church, but you can go ahead, you can park there, as well as the building right behind, or as you kind of come into our driveway, there's a dental office, you can park there as well. So please, go ahead, find a spot, uh, and make sure you, you join us, uh, and that would be wonderful. I do have one other sort of announcement that I want to point out. Uh, some of you would have noticed some of these lying around on your pews uh, or up on the ledges up at the top there as well. Yesterday started or began our week of prayer here at White Rock Baptist Church. Every year, somewhere during January, we launch the year with the week of prayer. This year we started a little bit different in that yesterday we had a guided prayer day or session, I should say. It wasn't a day. We had two sessions, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And it was certainly for me incredibly encouraging to see all the folks that came out and then to hear from people as they experienced and encountered God through that intentional time and then spending some time in discussion and in prayer. Uh, what you have here is for you to put in your Bible or to put next to your bed or to put somewhere as a reminder for you on how to pray through this coming week. We will put updates on Instagram uh, and Facebook on our social media platforms. We are not on TikTok, so you will be spared some questionable dance by the senior pastor. Uh, but we will be challenging and encouraging you to keep joining us throughout the week as we pray. On the back of the bookmark are a number of questions that are prayer prompts. Each one of the questions or the points has corresponding scriptures that just help reflect and remind. And so I would encourage you as you look at the question, look at the scripture and allow that to inform your praying through this coming week. Uh, we genuinely believe God moves when his people pray. And so without his spirit, there would be no point us doing what we do. So I encourage you, I welcome you and invite you to come and pray with us. Next Sunday morning in church, we will kind of, quote unquote, finish the week of prayer. Uh, but I want you to hold on to that so that hopefully all through the year, you can pray uh, as we seek God's face. Today marks the beginning of a new series, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the series title, Yes, might kind of catch you a little bit by surprise, uh, and I'm pretty sure the series title for some of you is going to make you think something that I don't necessarily mean, but that's why I chose it. For the next six weeks, the series title is simply How to Be Right All the Time. How to be right all the time. 
Yesterday afternoon, some of you might be aware that the Vancouver Canucks hosted the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, yes, indeed. Uh, why this is important is I'm part of a group of guys, a text thread, and so we kind of banter and chat all the time. And one member of that text group is from Toronto. Although he's from there, so he actually says it correctly and says Toronto. Because they don't actually pronounce that second T, so I don't know why it's in the word if they're not going to use, actually say it. But anyway, he's from Toronto. And so leading up to the game, all we got in our text thread were memes and comments of how badly the Canucks suck and how, how much the Leafs are going to beat us. Now, of course, if you do not follow NHL in particular or, or the Canucks in particular, you might not be aware that the Canucks won 6-4. We showed those wilted Maple Leafs a thing or two. Uh, and you know the fun part of that? was being able to tell our friend, we told you so. (laughs) I told you so. Uh, Isn't that just one of the best expressions to be able to say? I told you so. Now, when I utter the words, I told you so, it means I was right. And you were very much wrong. And of course, we hate hearing the words, I told you so. For the exact same reason, because if somebody says to me, I told you so, it means I was wrong. And they were right. And most of you by now know me. And you know that I favor being right. When I was a teenager, I had a button on one of my jackets and the button said, I might not always be right, but I'm never wrong. And so I use that, particularly around the house. In fact, I was having a conversation with one of my own children recently, and my child said to me, well, you're not wrong. And so I began, and I think they noticed, as I puffed my chest, started that expression, they shot me down and cut off my little mini sermonette. But we like to be right. Most of us, most of the time, want to be right. I think this is probably what fuels the legal industry. This is why there are lawyers. Because both sides of the conversation or both sides of the argument, dare I say, want to be right. And so we will hire somebody to fight our case because I'm right. This is why internet comment uh, sections devolve into arguments and fights. Because invariably at some point someone is going to say something and somebody else is going to basically say, you're wrong. And we argue and we fight because we want to be right. Well, I've got good news for you. You can be right. And you can be right all the time. And the scriptures actually help us. The scriptures show us that there is a way to, in fact, be right all the time. And so I hope that you will hold that expression in mind over the next six weeks as we discover how to be right all the time. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to Romans chapter 12. 
And that's what we're going to be journeying through over the next six weeks as we have a look at this bold claim that I am making that we can be right all the time. Romans chapter 12, I'm reading the entire chapter, and it should be up on the screen as well. Therefore, that's John chapter 12. Do we have Romans 12? Are we able to grab Romans 12? Okay, don't worry about it. There was a miscommunication somewhere. No doubt from my side, it's okay. If you would like to follow along, there is a Bible in front of you in the pew. Or I'm hoping you have the Bible on your phone. Anyway, Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. I think you've got a different translation up there, so that's going to be confusing as well. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters... In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think you are superior. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. 
For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans chapter 12, certainly verses 1 and 2, are some of the most well-known verses in the Christian church. We hear them regularly, routinely. I know I've preached from them and this passage multiple times. They're well known. We refer to them often, often, and it makes sense given what they say. And Paul begins in this chapter talking about worship. And we know that worship is the only fitting response when it comes to God. When we contemplate God, the magnificence, the glory, when we think about the gospel, when we think about grace, our only fitting response to God is worship. And so this is why Paul begins with worship. You and I were created to worship. We will always find something and some way to worship. And of course, worship isn't only singing. Although I think singing is such a powerful reminder because it's something that we do. It comes naturally to us in many situations. Sure, we might not all be singers, certainly not all good singers, but most of us probably sing at some place. Whether it's home alone in the shower, or like on Friday night, Cindy and I went out to Three Dogs, uh, and we don't normally go there on a Friday night, and we discovered that they have karaoke at Three Dogs. On a Friday night. So we had live music and live entertainment while sharing our nachos. But I remember at one point kind of looking at what was happening. And I said to Cindy, you know, karaoke is a weird thing to me. It's a bunch of people who generally can't sing, who think they can sing. And they're subjecting the rest of us to their singing. Now that's the cynical comment. I get it. But as Cindy sort of said, well, we're made to worship. And what better place than in a place of peers who also can't sing and who are also singing with each other and cheering each other on and spurring each other on. So I think I'm going to go there next week as well and sing with them. We're made to worship. We want to worship. And so Paul begins with worship. It makes sense. Now, we're going to look at worship in a couple of weeks' time. But Paul not only talks about right worship, Paul also talks in verse 2 about not conforming to the pattern of this world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, as Eugene Peterson says. That's what the world will always try to do. It will try and squeeze us into a mold. It will try and get us to conform, to fit in, to go with the flow. One of the ways that we prevent that is through worship. And when Stanley Grentz was asked, what is the purpose of the church? He said, first and foremost, the purpose of the church, the purpose of Christians gathering together is worship. We're supposed to be a community that worships God. Now, we know that. We've read Romans 12, 1 and 2 many, many times. 
But the problem is, sometimes we read Romans 12 so quickly, and we read those opening verses so quickly, that we miss something truly profound. You see, Paul begins in Romans 12 by saying, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Therefore, in view of God's mercy. I guess another way we could phrase it, or a way that might make it a little easier to understand, Paul is saying, because of the mercy that I have just spoken about, this then is how you should live. But what mercy? What has Paul spoken about that should lead us into this place? Well, that's Romans chapter 1 all the way through to chapter 11. It's the crux of the matter. Because I'm unlikely to actually worship if I don't understand. If I don't know what what has been said and what has come before. And so Paul begins with this, therefore, as God's mercy. So what exactly then does Romans chapter 1 all the way through to 11 say? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because for the next few minutes, I'm going to summarize Romans 1 through 11. If we go all the way back to Romans chapter 1, the opening verses of Romans, Paul says, Paul, I, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. You see, Paul begins the book of Romans, he begins with an introduction saying this letter, this book summarizes the gospel. The gospel that was promised beforehand. The gospel summed up in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the son of God. This gospel that is a gift of grace, a gift given to us and a gospel that we receive by faith, which of course should lead us to go, okay, well, why do we even need this gospel? What makes this story good news? What makes what Paul is about to say something I need to hear and something I need to receive? Well, it's because Romans chapter one at the end of Romans one takes a very hard left. You see, it starts off all wonderful talking about this good news, this gospel. But in Romans chapter 1 verse 18, Paul says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. The wrath of God is certainly not a subject that gets a lot of airtime these days. We don't really want to think about the fact that God could have wrath for sinners. It doesn't tie in when I think of other scriptures that say God is love. But that's the point. 
How can I receive the gospel as something good and necessary if I don't know why I need it? And I need it because apart from it, I am subject to God's holy, righteous and just wrath. This is why Jonathan Edwards, the famous preacher in Connecticut in 1741, as the, the catalyst for the first great awakening and the, the great revival, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon titled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Now it was 1741, people felt a little bit different. I'm not about to use a title like that. Although I must say, I heard, as in I sat in church, listening to a preacher one day, where the preacher used the statement, or he made the comment, without the gospel, we are diseased and doomed to destruction, deserving of damnation. We are dead men walking. A movie had just come out by the same name, and and so he linked with all those D's. We're diseased, doomed, destroyed, deserving of damnation. We are dead. I won't preach that sermon to you this t- today. But how could they? How could Jonathan Edwards and many others preach sermons with those kind of titles and those kind of themes? Well, because Romans reminds us of this. Paul goes on into Romans chapter 2, and Romans chapter 2 is a challenging read. In Romans 2 verse 5, Paul says, But because of your stubbornness, And your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Through the opening chapters, Paul shows us that both the Jews, those who thought that they were the chosen people of God and therefore favored, both the Jews and the Gentiles, those who were outside of the commonwealth of God, Paul showed that didn't matter whether you thought you were in or you thought you were out. Both were deserving of wrath. Paul says in Romans 3 verse 9, Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. And then in verse 23 of Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the first three chapters of Romans are a difficult read. They're not particularly encouraging. They could probably not be summed up as good news. Good news, everyone. You're damned. That's not good news. But, but, Paul turns in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. To which the law and the prophets testify, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now we start to catch a glimpse of the gospel. Those who were declared unrighteous, those who were under the wrath of God, those who were separated and far off, now find righteousness in Jesus Christ. And Paul does it masterfully in Romans chapter 4 to show us that we are declared justified or we are justified by faith. Paul gives the illustration of Abraham. Abraham was declared righteous by faith long before the Ten Commandments, long before the laws and commands of God. 
And in Romans 4, verse 22 to 24, Paul says, This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Paul opens chapter 5 with words that automatically should lead us into worship. (laughs) Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, 6, and 8, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Paul goes on to show that we are no longer dead to sin. We are alive in Christ. We've been freed from the law and we've been freed from sin, although we are bound to Christ. And Paul continues with an incredible reminder that we can live daily in the power of the Holy Spirit and we can live right lives. Paul is so moved by the wisdom, by the power, by the grace of God that Paul himself in the middle of writing this letter is led to worship and he utters this doxology of praise to God. And he finishes Romans chapter 11 with these words. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, brothers and sisters. Therefore, I urge you in the view, in view of God's mercy to live this way. Now, over the next five weeks, we will develop live this way to to worship and to live in relation to others. But for now, I want to be right all the time. So how do I do that? What makes me right all the time? Well, quite simply put, God. It is God who makes me right, and it is God who declares me to be right. You see, Paul has shown us through the first 11 chapters of Romans that we are never, or sorry, let me rephrase that, we are not right before God. In fact, the the theological term that gets used all through Romans is this word righteousness. We are unrighteous, and that's a huge problem. Because we cannot enter into God's presence. We cannot stand before God as unrighteous. For only the righteous will come face to face with God. If I want to be right all the time, it starts with being right with God. I need to be made righteous. 
But of course, I can't make myself righteous. So how do I do that? Well, Paul's already answered. I've already alluded to a few verses. Paul echoes this thought in another letter of his in 2 Corinthians, where in chapter 5 and verse 21, Paul says, God made him, that is Jesus Christ, God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'll say that again. God made him, that is Jesus Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How do I start being right with God? Quite simply, I believe in Jesus Christ, and I receive this gift of grace by faith. And in so receiving this gift of grace by faith, I am declared righteous. I read a portion of it from Romans chapter 3, but the fuller context in Romans 3, verse 21 to 24. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, I'm quite sure that right at the beginning, when I said how to be right all the time, your minds took you to different places. You probably thought about a recent interaction with someone where they said something to you. And you had the perfect response that would shut them up. But you only thought of that response two or three hours later at home. And there's a little part of you going, oh, I need to be right. Or maybe you've seen something, read something in the news, watched something on TV and gone, that is wrong. Something needs to be done to make it right. Maybe that's where your mind went. And I I hope there were elements of that. Over the next couple of weeks, that's indeed what we will look at. How to be right with self. And how to be right with others. How to be right in worship. How to be right in service. How to be right in living. But all of that needs a foundation. And the only right foundation is Jesus Christ. And it's accepting and receiving that gift of grace by faith that I might be declared righteous before God. And once I'm righteous, then by his power and with the Holy Spirit and with his help, I can begin to do right and live right. I hope you will join us for these next few weeks. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that indeed I can be right all the time. Thank you that I can be declared righteous because of the work that your son, Jesus Christ, did on my behalf. Thank you, Jesus, that you took on all my sin and shame and took it to the cross. And by your blood shed and your life given for me, I am made righteous. I am right 
with God. Holy Spirit, remind me daily because I am prone to forget and I am prone to wonder. And just as Paul says in Romans, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. Remind me even in that place, I'm declared righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ. God, for those perhaps in this room this morning who have never accepted by faith the gift of grace, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would open their hearts that they might receive you and they might find eternal life and be made right before you. As we would journey into these next few weeks through Romans chapter 12, as we sang before the sermon, God, speak to us through your word. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.